Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Candy Stripe Convos. I am Will Foley. I am Jacob Spudage. And Gary Newman. Of the Indiana Daily Student. What a homecoming weekend. Uh, Indiana fell to number, then number four, now number five, Michigan, 31 to 10. They held in there for a while. And even before the game started, uh, the injury list came out and Cam Jones was out and is expected to miss several weeks. A.J. Barner was out. Jalen Williams was out. And it did not look good, very good for Indiana. D.J. Matthews was out as DJ, well. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of injuries. Basically, the whole tight end room for um, Indiana was James kinda, Bomba was out. was kind of scrapped yeah. there. Uh, definitely a tough one. Definitely um, kind of up and down, rocky road. Uh, you go through all the phases of a Indiana Hoosiers fan, a Michigan fan. Um, it was crazy. It started with a huge run by Blake Corum uh, that turned into a touchdown, and you kind of thought that Michigan was just going to take that game away. And then Indiana, later in that quarter, comes back with a tying touchdown. Game's 10-10. There's no scoring for about a quarter of play. And then uh, towards the end, you know, Michigan kind of takes off there, and Indiana just doesn't have any answers. Yeah. Um, I thought early in the game, like you said, I mean, that first Corum run, I definitely thought – that the game was on its way to like a big blowout like 56-7 Michigan but then kind of in in character Indiana bounced back through the adversity and kept the game close I mean it was again another tale of two halves for the Hoosiers as I mean first half you go into halftime tied up with the fourth ranked team in the country you've got to be pretty happy but then the adjustments aren't made and Michigan scores 21 and answer to win the game 31-10 offense for Indiana really didn't get going in the second half there's a lot of questions and I mean we saw after the game there's been some changes made to the Indiana staff so I think we'll see how the season continues but Indiana has to figure out a way to play a complete game yeah I think Indiana missed out on a lot of chances early in the game too uh you have the one drive where it's 10 I think it was 10 10 at the time and uh Indiana goes down they score a touchdown, and then it's called back on a very questionable call. They call offensive pass interference, and the flag is thrown about two minutes after the actual touchdown is scored. So Indiana fans not very happy with that one. And then you have the series of blocked field goal, blocked field goal by both sides. And so uh, that's a tough one to swallow for Indiana just because – you had a chance to go into halftime with the lead, and you weren't able to, and game is tied, and then from then on, Michigan just dominated. Definitely, yeah, you, you touched on it. Definitely a lot of weird things that happened. It, uh, Mike Morris for Michigan got called on a um, showboating penalty that was a little light, um, and then on the very next series um, for Michigan's offense, Devon Matthews got called on a showboating penalty which is weird, and then the two field goals, literally, like, blocked field goal, and then Indiana marches down after they blocked the field goal, and their field goal gets blocked. Both of them, you would assume, would be chip shots for their field goal kickers, uh, Jake Moody and Charles Campbell, and it just it just didn't work that way, for sure. Yeah, and to get to your point, um, Mike Morris, you know, we talk about the, the celebration penalty, but also the ability Michigan had to bring pressure and I mean throughout the day it was four and five man boxes that we saw from the Wolverines but looking at the the box score 
There are seven sacks in this game, and no one on the Michigan team had more than one. So that's seven different guys on their defense got a sack. I mean, that is problematic because, in my eyes, that means there's got to be some blitzing from linebackers there. And if that's the case, then they're just, the Hoosier offense is just not picking up their assignments on, like, blitzes. And that is – like, that you can't do that in the Big Ten – too many of these teams have crazy defensive fronts. That, that's a that's a great point. Though there were really not a lot of blitzes ran by Michigan's defense. Uh, not a lot of times where they had where Michigan's defense, whoever was rushing the quarterback, outmanned those blocking. And it was actually kind of quite an embar- embarrassing performance by that offensive line. I know Bazelak backed them up in the post game interview, but uh, it's, it's it's putrid. It's uh, it's the reason why uh, Hiller got fired earlier this week. They replaced him with Kerry. Um, so and that's something that. They really, really, really got to fix because it, it was not a lot of pressure applied. Michigan did not have to apply a lot of pressure. And, yes, Michigan's a really good um, – like, they get to the quarterback very, very well. They have a good defensive line. They always have. They seem to breed them in Ann Arbor. But the, the fact that there were just not a lot of blitzes ran and Baselak just had no time in the pocket is all, ultimately led to the demise of the Hoosiers and it has led to the demise of the Hoosiers the past couple games. There were a lot of key moments when it – when those sacks came too, and it just was so, it was just such a big blow to the Indiana offense. I specifically remember, so you're at least tied with Michigan. If you should have already had the lead by now, but Indiana gets the ball first out of halftime. They're driving, they get into Michigan territory, and then Bazelak takes a 10 yard sack, and that basically kills the drive, and they have to punt away. So, those sort of moments is when you need your offensive line to step up the most. and they just couldn't do that on Saturday. I mean, as you guys touched on, seven sacks, seven different guys. That's just inexcusable for Indiana's offensive line. And moving forward, obviously, they made a change, which we will talk about later. But something else needs to – we need to see that improvement on Saturday. And I'm not sure that we will. Yeah, and one thing I will – while we, like, talk uh, – while we uh, criticize the offensive line, one thing I will say about – Indiana's defense, on the other hand, is that um, they were to, they were able to give Michigan some grief, especially in that first half. Uh, I think the score of 31-10 being separated by three touchdowns tells a, a lot different story than what actually happened in the game. Um, and then it was just kind of, you know, the defense just couldn't hold it any longer, and Michigan just kind of ran away with it. But it was much closer than it seemed. Um, Blake Corum was, a, was interesting because he's probably one of the nation's top running backs. And he, besides the 50-yard run that he had, he only averaged about three yards per carry, which is very impressive for Indiana's uh, defense to stop that. You know, Indiana saw, they've seen three of the top ten rushers in the country. They saw uh, Chase Brown, Anthony Grant, and uh, Chase Brown, Illinois, Anthony Grant in Nebraska, and Blake Corum now. They allowed them all over 100 yards. But the difference was, against Brown and Grant, they each had excess of five yards per carry. And Michigan, or Indiana, rather, seemed to very much limit that, which I thought they did a good job. And they forced... Uh, J.J. McCarthy, to, the most accurate QB in the country, to throw an interception. Yeah, I mean, kind of adding on to that, the interception I thought was such a big moment in this game because I believe the game was either 17-10 to 10 Michigan or it may have still been 10-10 to 10 when that happened. I'm not positive. But um, McCarthy's coming down the field, and he's at, like, the Indiana 20 or 30 and he throws a ball towards the end zone that gets tipped up by Bradley Jennings and Devin Matthews comes up with the interception. And instead of being aggressive with that momentum shift and trying to convert and get points, Indiana's offense just 
it, I, I'm pretty sure they went three and out and just punted the ball right back to Michigan and gave them pretty good field position because they were at their own like 20 when that drive started. So, I mean, I think a theme of the season is Indiana's defense plays incredibly well in some of these winnable games. Not to say that the Michigan game was winnable, but they were in the game and they make a big play. And then the offense just is not able to capitalize on the momentum shift. And it it just turns into a, a trickle down effect and the defense can only hold for so long. Yeah, I was very impressed by the play of Bradley Jennings Jr. Uh, stepping in, you know, before the game, everyone finds out that Cam Jones is out, and everyone knows that Cam Jones is the heart and soul of Indiana's defense. He's the best player on the defense. He's probably the best player on the team, at least statistically this season. And so we find out that he's out, and then we eventually find out it's going to be pretty long-term. And so Bradley Jennings Jr. steps up in that role, and it did not look good to start. He was the one that missed the tackle on Blake Corm in the backfield on his 50-yard run. But from that point forward, he kind of took over. He led the team in tackles. He had a tackle for loss, uh, pass breakup, which led to the interception. I mean, on that play, he was keeping up with Ronnie Bell of Michigan, which was very impressive to me. And so I just thought he did a great job in that role. And moving forward for the next couple of weeks until we find out what exactly is going on with Cam Jones, I think uh, his play was really promising. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just noting Cam Jones, Tom Allen did say earlier this week he's going to be out a couple of weeks. Uh, DJ Matthews and Javon Swinton is both out. There will both be game time decisions coming into this week. And then uh, Jalen Williams and A.J. Barner are both week to week. Yeah, I mean, the injury bug hit IU again this year. Um, we saw Taiwan Mullen went out late in that Michigan game too, right? I don't know if he's... I think he left the sideline or went to the sideline and then eventually came back. Okay, I think, yeah. I think he's okay. So, I mean, that would be just the cherry on top for this Indiana defense if they were to lose Mullen. But um, I think Bradley Jennings is going to do a great job as a replacement. Uh, And then Aaron Casey. I think out of all the positions on the Indiana team this year, linebacker is the deepest from what it looks like on their roster in terms of veteran ability. So I think that they should be able to get through these weeks without Cam pretty decently. I would like to see more out of their interior defensive linemen. I mean, Demarcus Elliott and Sio uh, Nafoa Gatotoa. Uh, sorry if I butchered that, but he, they both are pretty much silent on a weekly basis when it comes to making plays in the backfield and getting pushed against the opposing offensive line. I mean, that's like if your D tackles are getting pushed backwards and you have backup linebackers, that's when the big plays are going to happen. The running backs are going to spring free through holes. And I think that they need to do a better job as like run stoppers. Yeah. Uh, talking about the running game, and this kind of goes along with the offensive line as well. I just thought that obviously he's like one of the best running backs in the country, but even as good of a job as Indiana's defense did, every time Blake Corm touched the ball, you just you just thought that he was going to get at least like three or four yards just because he's so reliable and the offensive line made it look easy for him. And you look at Indiana's side and it just isn't there. It continues to not be there. Uh, total rushing gain, not even the net, but the gain is 84 yards. The net is 19 because of the seven sacks. And you, if you take away three big runs from Indiana's running backs, the trio of them, there's just zero production. I mean, they are getting stifled at the line every single time. 
even when they do get holes, they're seeming to miss holes sometimes. And it's just really become a concern. And that makes Bazelak's job so much harder, in my opinion, because how is he expected to move the ball and come up? And even for Walt Ball, how is he expected to get this diversity in this offense when the running game can't produce anything? Yeah, you touched on it big time. I mean, when you only run the when you only run the ball twenty five times and you don't really have that much success with it, and you're kind of forced to throw, which Bazelak has kind of been forced to throw all year this year. This is why he's getting forty five pa- plus passes a game. Uh, so that re- that really puts him at a disadvantage. It also makes your offense almost so- somewhat more predictable when the run game isn't working. It seems like uh, Tom Allen, Walt Bell, they kind of just completely shy away from it especially in that second half and it's it gets almost to be more predictable in the past three indiana losses they've been outscored 42 to 7 in the second half and and they've been shut out the past two weeks so definitely something that that's gonna need to that's gonna need to change hopefully Jalen lucas is a guy that can once he gets more production he'll keep he'll keep going here he had four carries for 45 yards with a 39 Yard run, of course, that kind of boosted those. But still, if you, if they can give him more carries, I know Garrett really likes Trent Howland. Uh, he's another freshman. Maybe they can put him in the line because it seems as right now, depending on what what happens with the offensive line, Sean Shivers and Josh Henderson are just not, unfortunately, not getting it done. Yeah, the thing for me with the running back room at Indiana is you've got Lucas, who, as you touched on, he had the 39-yard run. So he's kind of one of those guys that's going to go like one, two-yard run, and then like every so often he's going to really pop off for a big run. He's a home run hitter, and that's really nice to have. But when you have a player like that, you need a complimentary back that can go in there and get the tough yards. And right now, I I haven't seen it from any of Indiana's top two backs in Shivers and Henderson. I've seen flashes from Henderson, but Shivers is just he's, – he's not able to – run through anyone really so when he's when he's got this weak offensive line that isn't getting a lot of push up front he's getting tackled by defensive tackles he's getting like one yard most of the time i that's why i like howland he's like six foot two uh he's like at least 210 pounds i mean he's a big back so he could maybe like push and lean for some more yards when he is going up the middle which has been a trend for indiana's running game and I think that's crucial. If they could get a combination of Lucas with someone else, I think that would really help Indiana's running game. Lucas also came out of the backfield a little bit and caught a couple passes for Bazelak, which definitely helped on a third down on a third down conversion. I believe he went to him. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Indiana does have those options with youth in the backfield, but for now, we'll probably keep seeing Shivers and Henderson. Who knows if that change is going to be made? So a lot of that is due to the offensive line. So speaking of. On Monday, was it Monday when they announced? Or uh, Sunday. 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 On Sunday, it, yeah. the day after, uh, <laughs> Darren Hiller was fired after six seasons, and Rod Carey is going to take over first place. Jacob, you wrote about this. I will let you take the floor. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely not a surprise. There were little rumors that uh, Hiller and uh, Allen were a little bit of buddies, so Allen was going to kind of not want to say goodbye. That kind of got pushed under the mud. Hiller's gone. It's, I mean, Indiana's given up a Big Ten worst 19 sacks in the year. It's Allen said, Allen said it himself. You know, it's a business-oriented thing. When you're not when you're not producing, we have to make a change. That's exactly what he did. And he brought in a guy named Ron Carey, who is actually has a, quite the impressive resume. He used to be a former center here at Indiana. 
He has a head coaching record of 64 and 50, from ranging from 2012 to 2021, where he coached at Northern Illinois University from 2012 to 2018, and then Temple from 2019 to 2021. Pretty impressive record. Him and Allen actually didn't even know each other before this, uh, before the hiring took place, and there was no thing, there was no idea that uh, Kerry would take over for Hiller. Um, that's kind of all the information I have. But what, what, from what I've heard, it was a very, very somber locker room after they said goodbye to Hiller. He's been a big part of that program. Everybody loves Hiller, as Tom <laughs> Allen said. But at the end of the day, you know, Allen said it: a change has to be made. When you're NFL worst, 19 sacks, or not? Sorry, not NFL. <laughs> big Ten worst. 19 sacks there in the season, and you can blame all, and you give up seven on the last game. It's un, it's unacceptable, no matter how talented the opposing defensive line is. Yeah, I think to add to what you've said already with the context, this is something that's carried over from last year as well. I remember as a fan going to the games last year and just like the offensive line for the amount of size we seem to have, especially with like Caleb Jones was here last year. I mean, we had some big guys, Big Ten capable players, and I felt like they were just getting pushed around every week, and that's carried over into the season. So to see that Allen made the change, I didn't know about the personal background between Hiller and him, but I was not surprised to see uh, a staff change there. Yeah, I, uh, I think the change is definitely necessary. Uh, uh, just scouring through everyone's favorite app, Twitter. You know, um, Love Twitter. I, yeah, everyone loves Twitter. I was looking back, you know, looking through Indiana fans' comments, and the general consensus seemed to be four seasons too late, five seasons too late, whatever. <laughs> People were not happy about Darren Hiller as the offensive line coach. Uh, so safe to say <coughs> they can sleep well now because they got what they asked for. <laughs> so we'll see how much of a change this makes moving forward. Uh, from what I've gathered, at least – from the public consensus, many believe that it will not make a difference this season because a midseason coaching change is kind of a weird transition, and we're already or Indiana's already down to got several guys like Matthew Bedford because of injuries like that. So whether or not it will make a difference, uh, I guess we'll find out Saturday. Yeah, I mean, definitely touched on it. Players are players, um, and so. Carry the idea that Carry could just come in here and completely rejuvenate the offensive line is. Kind of unrealistic. Uh, there might be some new coaching style he presents to them, a new different, new something that him and Allen could probably work on. But uh, definitely unlikely to see this offensive line go from giving up seven sacks to giving up zero sacks the next week and giving Bazak a bunch of time in the pocket. Kind of like what McCarthy had in the pocket uh, this past week. Um, but it, it'll be tough. And his first challenge is the third best team in, in the Big Ten in terms of sacks uh, in Maryland. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a quick change uh, in terms of the production of the O-line for Indiana, unfortunately. Um, if it was a different position group, maybe there would be something you could say, but this is one of the few places on the field where a group of guys work as one in a very close proximity, and if they aren't clicking together, then there's not much that I think new blocking schemes or new things like that could do to help that. I think... Indiana has what they have on the offensive line, and they just have to make a way to have a game plan to play around that, whether it's different styles of running. I mean, one thing that frustrates me is when your offensive line doesn't get any push, especially in the middle of the offensive line. 
to continue to just try and go right up the middle on these stout Big Ten defenses is it's just you're you're losing a down. Like the down is gone. You've lost an opportunity to get yardage. You're getting behind the sticks, and that makes Bazelak's life even harder. And that's when teams are going to just start to tee off on your quarterback because they know what's coming. All right, moving on. Before we get to Maryland, we are at the midway season or midway point of the season. Indiana is now three and three, and we wrote about our midseason predictions, following up our preseason predictions, and we talked about. What's been going on? We will start with the midseason most valuable player. I will start. My pick was Cam Jones. My preseason pick was Cam Jones. And I was kind of right about that. And I mean, brag, but Cam <laughs> Jones has been excellent this season. He, before he was injured, he was like in the top 10 nationally in tackles. He had 16 more tackles than any other Hoosier before the Michigan game. Uh, he had a forced fumble, fumble recovery, and as I mentioned before, he is the leader of the defense. He's the leader of the team, spiritually, physically, vocally. So I just think Cam Jones has been Indiana's best player by far. I said, uh, I said, you said Cam, Cam Jones. Jones as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I said Taiwan Mullen uh, pre preseason pick. Uh, Cam Jones is, I mean, Will touched all the points. He took the words right out of my mouth. Will, Cam Jones has been the best player in the game. Um, they're not going to have him for the next couple of weeks. So we're going to kind of see how this uh, defense adjusts a little bit. Uh, Indiana has some really talented linebackers, including Bradley Jennings, including Desan McCullough. But uh, it's definitely a huge loss. I said in the roundtable that he should be on everybody, every NFL team's radar for somebody to grab in the draft this spring. Yeah, um, my preseason was Sean Shivers, and unfortunately that hasn't really come to fruition. He's had some moments, but without a consistent offensive line, I don't think that's going to change. So I also went with the midseason being Cam Jones. I mean, it's pretty obvious he's the heart and soul of this team. Um, and like you guys said, I think he's also NFL caliber. I mean, maybe I was just blinded by how good Micah McFadden was the last few years, and that's why I didn't pick him before the season. But I mean, Cam Jones really, he reminds me so much of like a C.J. Mosley, like just a huge run stopper. And he forces fumbles, he makes plays, he's a leader. So I think there's no one else that's more deserving. <clears throat> Moving on. Next topic was biggest surprise of the year. We have a lot of variety, starting with me. My biggest surprise was Indiana's offensive strategy, specifically uh, Connor Baselak currently leads FBS football bowl subdivision. In past attempts, he is at, after the Michigan game, he's at 295. It's 12 more than any other quarterback in FBS. Five more until 300. That's five. He'll be the first 300, I guarantee it. And I've just been very surprised because uh, I did not think that Indiana, especially moving on from Michael Penix, you know, and there was the whole uh, quarterback battle this whole offseason no one really knew until the opening snap against illinois and so all those things considered who would have thought indiana's going to go to the air 50 times a game and while part of that is due to an inconsistent run game i just did not expect that and i question its sustainability throughout the season and while yes you can throw the ball 50 times every game how successful will it be i guess we'll find out yeah, my uh, I went more so player oriented, and I said Cam Camper has been a huge pleasant surprise. 
for uh, Indiana's receiving core. Indiana's offense in general, really. Uh, coming out of junior college, Cam Camper, relatively unknown. Tom Allen kind of found a diamond in the rough, definitely. That's what I said there. And he leads Indiana in yards. He has 400-plus receiving yards this year, and he's only he's missed a game still. He's by far Indiana's best receiver this year. And he's act, I mean, and Michigan knew that. They shut him down for the most part. He had one catch for about 33 yards in that second quarter, or in that first quarter, rather. And after that, you know, I think Harbaugh was like, you got to shut Camper down. They ended up going to Simmons a little bit more. So Cam Camper's definitely been the pleasant surprise of the year. Yeah, for me, it kind of go along with Will. Uh, I expected a less pass-heavy offense as well. Um, last year was such a back-and-forth battle between injuries and inconsistency at the position. Bazelak has done – he's – He's been better than I expected, honestly. He doesn't make a lot of bad mistakes. He gets the ball out, throws it away, doesn't take too many unnecessary sacks. I know Michigan seven sacks, but in general, Bazelak's been a positive. Um, I was expecting the running game to be better. Last season with Carr, it was kind of the same deal, and I thought it was Carr. It appears to be more on the offensive line. Um, So, yeah. I think if Indiana wants to win some more games this year, they've got to find a way to get that running game going. And to this point, they haven't been able to. Yeah, next was mid-season overall thoughts. Uh, my thoughts were this was before the Michigan game. The point remains, Indiana is lucky at the time to have a winning record now to even be 500. Uh, we saw how they started against or how they played the second half against Illinois. We saw how they played the first half against Idaho, et cetera, et cetera. And they've just been plagued by inconsistency. But they were somehow able to pull out three wins in the first three contests. And it's kind of starting to feel like their luck has run out, is what I said. But there's a lot of football left to be played. Uh, Obviously, we're midway through the season. It's a tough road ahead for Indiana. There is... A lot of difficult teams they have to play, uh, most notably the Ohio State Buckeyes. But uh, yeah, Indiana's just gotta put it together. They gotta play a complete game if they want to start competing in the Big Ten. Yeah, I kind of went around the same same lines. Mid season thoughts. I said, you know, it could be better, but it could also be a lot worse. Uh, Indiana's Indiana's very good at sometimes, but you know, you said it lacks consistency and focus throughout games. They it leads them to dig themselves huge holes. And the first half, and then having to make up for ground, having to make up for it in the second half, which doesn't bode well for winning football. Uh, Indiana still has to after Michigan, they still have to play two top ten teams right now. Ohio State, Penn State, you talked about that. And on top of that, they play strong Maryland and Purdue teams that are nothing to mess with. We've seen that so far this season. Um, you know, I, I wrote, I wrote, uh, you know, to Indiana fans that have already lost faith after the Nebraska game, still have hope because the Hoosiers could still do a lot of damage with the schedule they have left. Um, and along with that, the Indiana win over Illinois, I was talking to you guys about this earlier, the Illinois win actually is looking better and better every week because Illinois is right now the best team in the Big Ten West. Yeah, coming into the season, I didn't think Illinois was going to be very good, so when Indiana won that first game, I was not too impressed, but now, like you said, Illinois is like one of the best teams in the Big Ten, both offensively and defensively, so that looks great, but... I also talked about how Indiana's lucky to be where they are. I mean, they had to come back in some way in the first three wins. And then since then, they've gotten behind, and the teams have been better, and they haven't been able to make up for those 
huge deficits they've given up. So, I mean, while I also think there's optimism for the second half of the schedule, um, it's going to be difficult. And I just kind of wonder, like, how different would this season look for Indiana if they were in the Big Ten West? (laughs) Moving on, our final point are record predictions and will Indiana make a bowl game? Uh, in the preseason, I was the only one to predict Indiana missing a bowl game. My preseason record prediction was five and seven. Now, I think Indiana is looking at four and eight, maybe at best. We will see. Uh, again, we've talked about it. Inconsistency, a lot of problems going on. Offensive line can't block all these things, and a really, really tough schedule because that's just the reality of playing in the Big Ten East, which is totally. Dumb, by the way, abolish, uh, get rid of Big Ten division. It's stupid. But right now, that's what we have to deal with. And so I just don't think that Indiana, the way they've been playing, can really compete with these really good conference teams. I mean, they did they did actually do much better than I expected against Michigan, and that was a pot- positive sign moving forward. But I think that they will get one win between at Rutgers and at Michigan State, and I think that may be their ceiling. Interesting. I actually think they can win both Rutgers and Michigan State. At the beginning of the year, I said they were going to be 6-6. Six six. They were going to get into a, uh, a bowl game. They have a really tough schedule. It doesn't matter how good their team is, but they play teams that are significantly better than them. That was me at the preseason. Now I'm thinking it doesn't matter how tough their schedule is or how good their team is. They play teams light years better than they are, including Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, um, I'm not feeling quite as confident for six wins. I'm more so drifting towards five wins. But it wouldn't be college football if Indiana didn't pull off at least one upset in the next coming weeks. I'm going to bank on that. I think they're gonna still going to be six and six. And I wrote this. I said I would I would guess at the end of the year Indiana gets placed in some randomly named bowl game played, played somewhere in Florida. Yeah, I agree with Jacob on this one. I also said six wins to begin the year. Um, the loss to Nebraska kind of set that back, especially considering what Nebraska's dealing with as a program. thought Indiana should have won that game. But in terms of what I think they'll do down the stretch, uh, I think they're going to beat one of Penn State or Ohio State. I don't know for sure if that's going to happen, but that is a hot take I have. And then – that would allow them to maybe lose the Maryland game. But I think there's still a high chance Indiana misses a bowl and ends up with four or maybe five wins. But honestly, like, do not be surprised if they end up with four wins. Yeah, I mean, we're only halfway through the season. We've got a lot of football ahead of us. One of those games is this Saturday. Indiana hosts the Maryland Terrapins, who are 4-2 and two right now, coming off a... A brutal loss at home to Purdue in which they missed an extra point off a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and then they eventually had to go for two, didn't get it, so they lost by two to Purdue, and they also lost to Michigan by score. And so how are you guys feeling about this game for Indiana? Um, If you're an Indiana fan, you're probably feeling a little nervous. Uh, Maryland's very, very good. They're 4-2. They've lost only Michigan and Purdue on the year, That's and they've lost by a combined five points. Um, so they're a very, very good team. They they really – like, Indiana kept Michigan in check the first half. Maryland kept, Indi- Maryland kept Michigan in check the entire <clears throat> game, and Michigan was just able to squeak by, partly because of their running back, Blake Corum. 
Um, Tagovailoa, their quarterback, is very, very good. He ranks 13th in the nation in passing yards, second in the Big Ten, six yards behind C.J. Stroud, and we know how good the Ohio State quarterback is. Um, quarterback play is going to be it's going to be a show because I think you're seeing two really talented quarterbacks kind of go at it that at, to some extent kind of fall under the light. Um, Tagovailoa and Bazelak both do. So I think a lot. I think I'm excited to see the quarterback play, but if you're Indiana, you your defense has to straighten up because Tagovailoa will throw on uh, your on your secondary, and he has a bunch of receivers to throw to. Yeah, this might be a bit of a hot take, but I think this could be Indiana's most important game of the season, given the context. If Indiana drops a fourth game in a row and they just still have to face Rutgers, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Purdue. I think it really it ends their season, honestly, in terms of bowls. Like Maryland's coming in. They're one of the better programs in the Big Ten this year. They're kind of what I expected Wisconsin to be this year. Um, and, you know, they lost to Purdue last week, so they're probably going to have that on their minds. But they're coming on the road. They played very well on the road so far this year. When they went to Michigan, as you mentioned, they barely lost. And then they played Charlotte earlier in the season on the road and blew them out. Tungavailoa has a big arm, and he's he's one of those improviser quarterbacks that can always make a play. They've got great weapons on the outside. And given how IU looked against Cincinnati, who also has a lot of speedy weapons on the outside, that is worrisome for the Indiana secondary. Um I could see this game going either way, but I really think Maryland, they have something. There's just something about Maryland this year. Yeah, I agree with you about this being Indiana's most important game, at least up to this point, because we don't know what can happen in the future. But this this is just sort of a make-or-break game for Indiana. And uh, like you talked about, the Cincinnati game, we've seen Indiana's secondary struggling this year, and they really try to keep up. J.J. McCarthy leads the NCAA in uh, pass completion percentage at 78. He was around that benchmark against Indiana, even with the interception. And heading into this week, uh, Tungavailoa is third in pass completion percentage. He, uh, shock, shocking, uh, Very shocking reacting me, from. He does. He does. He have. He has a big arm, but he's 74 percent completion percentage. And so, yeah, he's just been picking apart teams. I mean, he is. He has. More yards than Connor Baselak on over a hundred less attempts, so he has just really been picking apart these defenses. And I think Indiana secondary is again like the key component to this game. They do not have a Blake Corum on their team, so they can focus more on this <clears> passing <throat> game. And whether or not Indiana's defense will be up to the task is kind of the story of the game. Yeah, I think. Uh... That's I think he, I think it's huge. I think I'm going to be zeroing on, in on that Indiana secondary, like I talked about earlier. Uh, in the Cincinnati game, Tyler Scott, uh, the Cincinnati wide receiver, ten receptions, 185 yards, three touchdowns, and that was basically all in the first half that he did that. Um, so, and, and you look at how talented Tyler Scott is, and then turn around, Maryland probably has three or four receivers that are just as good as Tyler Scott is. We were talking about it before we started recording. Rakeem Jarrett, Jacob Colton, two very talented receivers, and he has a tight end named Corey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher this, but Dichus, Dichus, Corey Dichus. We're going with it. Um, and it's it's ex- it's an extremely. Ex- you, I mean, 
I talked about, and we've talked about rather, how how much depth this receiving core at Indiana has is a lot, is a little. It's kind of been maybe a little less as we as the season progressed, but we kind of thought at the beginning of the season it was really, really deep. This Maryland receiving core is kind of how I envision Indiana's receiving core to be. Um, they have five different player, five different receivers with more than 200 yards, two, 200 receiving yards each, and they have seven different players with more than 10 yards per catch average. Uh, it's just it's a very, very, very talented receiving core that Maryland has. And talking about Loa, it seems as though he's gonna have a field day today or on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, Talia, I believe, started his career at Alabama with his brother. Uh, before transferring to Maryland, he may have decommitted. I know he was at least committed to Alabama at some point. And I, I remember, I mean, I used to watch the Elite 11 show on YouTube and stuff about, like, high school quarterbacks. And when he was on there, some of those scouts and, like, Trent Dilfer and those guys were saying, like, he's got a higher ceiling than Tua. Obviously, you know, he's going to Maryland. He's kind of building that program, whereas Tua was at – powerhouse like Alabama and got to have all those nice weapons but it seems like Maryland has really built the program built the team given him the weapons and now he is he's balling out and if he continues to do this I mean his ceiling could be higher than people expect and he's mobile too he can move so Indiana's going to have to keep him in the pocket and make sure he's making throws down the field give their secondary a chance to make plays which they haven't really sometimes this season, but then again, Nebraska, Michigan, they made a couple big plays. So uh, we'll see which secondary shows up for Indiana on Saturday. Yeah, and besides the secondary, just the the team as a whole, really specifically the offense. Uh, one thing I'm concerned about is consistency, and so uh, I wrote this for this week. It hasn't been published yet, so I'm giving you guys a little oh, sneak spoilers. Peek. All right, so the Week One Big Ten matchup kind of thing kind of messes up my flow, but we're still going with it. So. In Indiana's three non-conference matchups, Indiana has been outscored 58-20 to in the first half, highlighted by that bludgeoning by Cincinnati in the first half. And in those games, they outscored opponents 72-39 to and earned a 2-1 record in those games. Impressive. 70, 72 points in the second half between three games is... Very good, right? So, most other than the Illinois game... Uh, coming before those three games were before the Big Ten games. So you think, you know, got to get rid of those first half jitters, come out strong. And so Indiana does. Indiana, in their three Big Ten matchups, have outscored opponents 47-41. to Although the six-point differential comes from the Illinois game where they were up six at halftime, still a good number. And so you think that they would be able to build on this in the second half of these Big Ten games. Indiana has been outscored 45-7. to that's not very good. So Indiana can't keep disappearing for an entire half of football and expect to even stay in the game, let alone win the game. So I think that if Indiana is going to have win this game, which feels like a must-win game, they're going to have to show up for both halves. Yeah, for, for sure. It's something that they haven't done all year, I feel like, is play a high-performance four-quarter game. Um, one thing I want to touch on a little bit as well is the defense that the Terrapins have. While they rank third in the Big Ten in sacks, which is already something we talked about earlier with the new, with the new uh, regime of the offensive line, but outside of the pass rush, their defense actually ranks 12 out of 14 Big Ten teams in terms of total yardage given up a game. 
uh, Indiana's 13, Michigan State's 14. So that'll be something that's very interesting. It almost makes me think of an almost Western Kentucky, Indiana-esque shooting gallery where both teams were high offensive paced, high offensive minded. It kind of makes me think this game could get up to the 30s and 40s in terms of both teams just kind of throwing it on each other and whoever's team's offense proves to be better will be victorious in the end. And if Indiana's going to want to even be able to touch the Terrapins on Saturday, they're going to need to be playing in the first half high, high intensity first half. Running game's got to get going. Pass game's got to get going. Of course, all the things you got to get to get the offense going. And at the same time, reciprocating that in the second half going out in in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. Maryland's defense, there's some weaknesses there. Uh, Charlotte scored 21 points on them. SMU scored 27 points on them. Purdue scored 31 points on them. So teams that are not necessarily, necessarily elite have put up points on Maryland's defense. Now, if Indiana just... I really think it comes down to play calling. I feel like early in games, Indiana, at least against the Big Ten teams, Indiana has come out aggressive. You mentioned the Cam Camper 33-yard pass. Those plays are happening early in the game, and then it seems like Indiana is just getting content and not calling as many shots. And you have a quarterback who can make a lot of big throws. We've seen him hit DJ Matthews for 50 yards in the opener against Illinois. We've seen him make other big plays to Camper. Get those guys involved more down the field and and stop wasting downs with these uh, draw runs and things like that that are they're getting negative yards or they're they're just wasting them down like I mentioned. So if Indiana can come out aggressive and stay aggressive offensively, especially with their play calling, I think they can they can at least compete with Maryland. Yeah. Before we get to predictions or anything, uh, I know you you were talking about the totals, but just looking at even the specific passing offenses and defenses. Right now, Maryland in the Big Ten is second in passing offense, 304.7 yards per game. Indiana is fifth, 266.2 passing yards per game. So this is two top five passing offenses. In passing defense, Indiana is second to last there, 13th with 282 passing yards allowed. Maryland is 12th, third to last, with 270 passing yards allowed per game. So you mentioned the Western Kentucky game. I think that is a great comparison. We're going to have two uh, air raid offenses going back and forth with each other, and this might reach shootout level. Yeah, I mean, this, they're practically the same team at this point, right? Oh, man, I guess that means who's going to kind of stick up for the the running game for either team? We know how inconsistent um, Indiana's run game is. Well, Maryland's led by a freshman running back named Roman Hembry who has 395 yards so far this year on just 64 attempts, three touchdowns, probably average about 6.2. Maryland does tend to utilize three different running backs, Antoine Littleton and Colby McDonald in there as well. And they actually in so and their their running game has actually been a little more consistent than Indiana's, I'd say, but still not as powerful as that passing game for sure. So I guess it's going to be either one or both of these, but either one whose defense is able to make the stop when it when it when they need to. In the Western Kentucky game, Indiana's defense will make that stop. Or whose running game is going to be able to take off and make this passing game work with ease? Yeah, Maryland right now, uh, ninth in the Big Ten, 157 rush yards per game. Indiana 13th, 91 rush yards per game. All right. And we can get to predictions now. Uh, we won't do any rapid fire this week. You know, we're a little short on time. We'll I love to talk about. Goes. I love to talk about. All right. Game predictions. Actually, before I get to game predictions, we will talk about the spread. And right now, 
Sorry, not well prepared. Leaves at eleven. All right. Jacob says eleven. Any any predictions on the spread while I look for it, Garrett? Uh, it is eleven. So Jacob is right. Wow. Good job, Jacob. Maryland favored by eleven on the road. I'll say Indiana covers. <sighs> yeah. I might as well give a game. No, prediction no. Too. Yeah, I think. It, oh yeah, you want to? <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, Indiana's biggest game of the season at home. Student crowd might be depleted because of fall break. I'm going home. I'm going <laughs> to... All right. I'm saying three seconds left. Just got iced. Chucky Campbell with the big leg brings the Hoosiers to victory. I'm going to say Indiana wins. 33-30. Same exact score as West Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going in the... I'm going in the... I'm going high 30s. Not. I'm actually going low 40s, high 30s. Um, I don't think it's going to come on one last play or anything like that. But I think it's going to be 42 to 38. Oh, man. Do I pick Indiana to win? Uh, I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to say because I think out of nowhere, the offensive line is going to be rejuvenated under a new under a new coach. And then they're going to stop the sacks, give Bazak more time, Bazak's ability to compete and throw... To open players is going to be key. DJ Matthews being there is going to be huge. I think uh, after the Hiller fire, it, morals are we're down in the first part of the week. They got to get back to work this part of the week. I don't think they drop below 500. I think they're going to win 30, 42 to 38. Yeah, I'm also going to pick Indiana, I believe. Um, I think it's going to be 35 31 Indiana. Uh, I believe, like you mentioned, with Matthews coming back, I think the offense. Puts up points again for the first time in a few weeks. And really for both of these teams coming off losses, this is make or break. Like if Maryland loses this game, it kind of it, it, it sours their season a little bit that's been off to such a strong start. And then if Indiana loses this game, they drop below 500 and their bowl hopes really sort of get dashed. So I think Indiana comes out with a sense of urgency and they get it done at home. Yeah, I really convinced myself. Uh, if Indiana can get this game... Completely turns their season around. Biggest game of the season, we think. So up to this point, uh, I guess we'll find out Saturday, and we'll talk to you guys next time.